Chapter 23 of The Restoration of the Gospel by Osborne J. P. Widso. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Wayne Cook. The Testimony of the Martyrdom. Thursday, the 27th of June, 1844, was a day of gloom for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Less than a quarter of a century had passed since the boy prophet, Joseph Smith, had seen his first vision in the sacred grove. Scarce twenty-one years had passed since the angel Moroni had first appeared to him. Only fourteen years had passed since the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints had been organized. Yet, during those few years, how much had been accomplished! And during those few years, too, how severe had been the persecution to which the prophet and his followers had been subjected. Since the day he had first divulged the fact that he had seen a vision, the prophet had known hardly a moment of peace. He had been evilly spoken, even by those who had been numbered among his friends. He had been hauled before courts of law near half a hundred times on the foresworn oaths of men who themselves should have been condemned by law. He had been thrown vilely into prison, and had endured all the indignities of the common felon. He had been hounded from cover to cover as the fated stag is hunted by unleashed dogs. His devoted followers had been ruthlessly driven from their homes to build anew in the wilderness and in the desert. Always, however, the courts had been forced to admit that, while the prophet and his friends were compelled to pay much more than a reasonable penalty for the offences of which they were accused, yet they were in every case perforced divist as innocent. Not a single charge could be sustained against them. But now, at last, the malignant hatred of his enemies prevailed against the prophet. On Thursday, the 27th of June, 1844, the prophet Joseph Smith and his brother, the patriarch Hiram Smith, were brutally mobbed and shot to death in the upper room of the old jail at Carthage, Illinois. No more flagrant act of mob violence can be shown in the history of the modern religious world than this which brought Joseph Smith to a brutal and untimely death. It would not be appropriate, however, to take up here a detailed, critical study of the events that led up to the martyrdom. We need to know the sad truth only in its outlines. On Friday, the 7th of June, 1844, there appeared in Nauvoo the first and only number of a weekly periodical called the Nauvoo Expositor. The Expositor had been founded, according to its own prospectus, for the avowed purpose, amongst others, of advocating through its columns, quote, the unconditional repeal of the Nauvoo City Charter, end quote, and of instigating the people of Nauvoo and adjacent parts to unite in persecuting the Prophet Joseph Smith and his friends. The first and only number of the Nauvoo Expositor was true to the promises of the prospectus. It is needless to say that the people of Nauvoo resented the vicious slanders published in the Expositor. They resented, moreover, the unrighteous purposes for which it was founded. The matter of this new periodical, the Nauvoo Expositor, was brought to the attention of the City Council of Nauvoo. 
After several days' careful investigation, the Council passed an ordinance declaring the Nauvoo Expositor a nuisance, and issued an order to the Mayor, Joseph Smith, to have the nuisance abated. On the night of Monday, June 10, 1844, the City Marshal, accompanied by the Major General of the Nauvoo Legion and the members of the Legion, carried the press, the type, the printed paper, and the fixtures of the Nauvoo Expositor into the streets and destroyed them. This summary action of the City Council of Nauvoo against the Nauvoo Expositor was the beginning of the final trouble that led to the martyrdom of the Prophet Joseph Smith. There was raised such a hue and cry by the apostate publishers of the short-lived Nauvoo Expositor that the whole state of Illinois was roused to attention. Mass meetings were held in which the action of the City Council of Nauvoo was denounced. Joseph Smith was arrested for riot. His case was heard before a non-Mormon justice. On June 12th, he was acquitted. But the enemies of the prophet had become thoroughly aroused. They banded themselves together and determined to do him to death. He was arrested a second time for the expositor affair and was again acquitted. But the disturbance continued to grow worse. The spirit of mobocracy took possession of the defamers of the prophet. They began to clamor for his blood, and for the blood of those that should dare to remain loyal to him. Their frenzy had grown to such uncontrollable proportions that nothing short of the shedding of blood could satisfy them. The Nauvoo Expositor, though dead, was bringing to pass the very results for which it was first given life. It was with the affair reduced thus to utter hopelessness, that the prophet decided finally to try to save the situation by taking himself away from the seat of trouble. It was the evening of Saturday, June twenty-second, 1844. The prophet had met with several men in an upper room of his house. The subject of discussion was, naturally, the serious difficulties that had grown out of the destruction of the Nauvoo Expositor, an act that had been twice justified by properly constituted courts of law. Brethren, said the prophet, here is a letter from the governor which I wish to have read. The letter was read. Then the prophet spoke again sorrowfully. There is no mercy, no mercy here. No, replied his brother Hiram, just as sure as we fall into their hands, we are dead men. Yes, said Joseph. What shall we do, brother Hiram? And Hiram answered, I don't know. Then suddenly, with the light of inspiration brightening his countenance, the prophet exclaimed, The way is open. It is clear to my mind what to do. All they want is Hiram and myself. Then tell everybody to go about their business and not to collect in groups, but to scatter about. There is no doubt they will come here and search for us. Let them search. They will not harm you in person or property, and not even a hair of your head. We will cross the river tonight and go away to the west. The plan seemed to be good. It was accepted by the men assembled. The prophet gave several instructions for carrying the plan into effect. Then he recorded, as the last words in his own simple, direct narrative of his life, these words. I told Stephen Markham that if I and Hiram were ever taken again, we should be massacred, or I was not a prophet of God. I want Hiram to live to avenge my blood, but he is determined not 
to leave me. With this complete appreciation of the seriousness of the situation, and with this sentence of death passed upon his own head, in case he should ever again be taken by the mob, Joseph Smith set out with his brother Hiram for the Rocky Mountains. Footnote. The thought of going to the Rocky Mountains was not a new one for the prophet Joseph Smith. Nearly two years before this, in August 1842, he made the following entry in his journal. Quote, I prophesied, at Montrose, Iowa, while conversing with several brethren, that the saints would continue to suffer much affliction and would be driven to the Rocky Mountains. Many would apostatize. Others would be put to death by our persecutors or lose their lives in consequence of exposure or disease. And some of you will live to go and assist in making settlements and build cities and seeing the saints become a mighty people in the midst of the Rocky Mountains. End quote. In February and March, 1844, a company was actually organized to explore the Rocky Mountain region, and Congress was memorialized to assist in the exploration of the West. When, a few months later, it became necessary for the prophet to seek a place of refuge, it was but natural that he should turn his eyes in the direction of his great prediction. End of footnote. Had he been permitted to go, he might possibly have lived many years more to bless his people, but, undoubtedly, his day's work was done. He was called now to bear testimony to his great life-work with his blood. Joseph and Hiram, with a few friends, had proceeded only as far as Montrose, Iowa, when messengers reached them from the wife of the prophet. The people had become alarmed in the absence of their leader. They entreated him to return to them. They expressed their fear that if he did not return to Nauvoo, and, of course, to imprisonment, the city would be guarded by troops till he was found, quote, if it took three years to do it, end quote. Several of the brethren assembled at Montrose joined, too, in the plea that he should return. They accused him of cowardice, saying that it was now, as in the fable, when the wolves came, the shepherd fled the flock and left the sheep to be devoured. The prophet, it need not be said, was sorely hurt. If my life is of no value to my friends, said he, it is of none to myself. Thereupon he turned to Porter Rockwell and asked, What shall I do? Rockwell answered, You are the oldest and ought to know best, and as you make your bed, I will lie with you. Still perturbed in mind, the prophet turned to Hiram and asked, Brother Hiram, you are the oldest. What shall we do? And Hiram counseled, Let us go back and give ourselves up and see the thing out. It was a serious step to take. This was a question of life and death. The prophet considered the counsel a while, then said, If you go back, I will go with you, but we shall be butchered. No, no, cried Hiram. Let us go back and put our trust in God, and we shall not be harmed. The Lord is in it. If we live or have to die, we will be reconciled to our fate. These were brave words. They reveal the fearless heart of the trustful man of God. But Joseph was not deceived. He knew that if he returned to Nauvoo, he should be slain. Yet, after considering the question again for a while, he turned to Reynolds Cahoon and instructed him to have a boat ready that evening 
to take them back over the river. The prophet had decided to return to his fate. Perhaps nothing is more striking the events of the next few days than the prophet's foreknowledge that he was going to a violent death. On the way from Montrose to the river, he fell behind the company with Porter Rockwell. Those in advance shouted for them to hurry, but Joseph answered, It is of no use to hurry, for we are going back to be slaughtered. At 5.30 the company recrossed the river and entered again the city of Nauvoo. Early on Monday, June 24th, the prophet and his company started for Carthage, Illinois. When the company reached the Nauvoo temple, the prophet paused. He looked with admiration at the temple, then at the city of Nauvoo the Beautiful, nestling in the bend of the river below them. The beautiful morning view seemed to affect him. He became again oppressed with the foreknowledge of certain death. This is the loveliest place and the best people under the heavens, he cried. Little do they know the trials that await them. And as the company passed out of the city limits, the prophet called on Daniel H. Wells. Squire Wells, said the prophet on parting, I wish you to cherish my memory and not think me the worst man in the world either. Four miles west of Carthage, the prophet's company met Captain Dunn, who had been sent to take possession of the arms of the Nauvoo Legion with sixty mounted militia. Some of the prophet's associates seemed to become alarmed at the sight of the soldiers, but Joseph quieted their fears with a rather doubtful comfort. Do not be alarmed, brethren, for they can do no more to you than the enemies of truth did to the ancient saints. They can only kill the body. And only a few moments later he made the startling statement, I am going like a lamb to the slaughter but I am calm as a summer's morning. I have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward all men. If they take my life, I shall die an innocent man, and my blood shall cry from the ground for vengeance, and it shall be said of me, He was murdered in cold blood. And that there was real cause for anxiety was proved by the testimony of Abram C. Hodge, while the arms of the Nauvoo Legion were being collected at Nauvoo for Captain Dunn, Hodge had been sent to Carthage by Hiram Smith to learn what was the situation there. At Carthage, Hodge met a Reverend Mr. Dodge, a friend of Hiram's. He warned Hodge that if Joseph and Hiram came to Carthage, they would be killed. Hodge also met Hamilton, the innkeeper, who pointed out the Carthage grace and said, Hodge? There are the boys that will settle you Mormons. Returning from Carthage, Hodge met the prophet and his friends. Hodge reported what he had heard at Carthage and said, Brother Hiram, you are now clear, and if it was my duty to counsel you, I would say, Do not go another foot, for they say they will kill you if you go to Carthage. But Hiram and Joseph were both possessed of a splendid courage. There was only one thing now to do, to save Nauvoo from massacre by a lawless mob. The prophet and his brother continued fearlessly on their way to Carthage, into the very arms of death. Indeed, perhaps equally striking with the prophet's foreknowledge of certain death was his unflinching courage in facing that death. 
it was just a little before midnight on the twenty fourth of june that the company reached carthage and put up at hamilton's tavern the temper of the mob militia assembled at carthage was displayed by the outcries of the carthage greys and the general mob while the prophet and his friends were passing the public square where is the damned prophet stand away you madonna boys and let us shoot the damned mormons clear the way and let us have a view of joe smith the prophet of god he has seen the last of nauvoo we'll use him up now and kill all the damned mormons if the mob had hoped to daunt the noble spirit of the prophet by this manifestation of insatiable bloodthirsty hatred they were sorely disappointed joseph smith continued calmly fearlessly on his way he knew that he was going like a lamb to the slaughter but his spirit was as he said calm as a summer's morning there was no thought of fear in his heart there was no thought of wavering there he had set his hand to the plough he did not look back it is needless to follow in detail the shameful proceedings of the next few days at carthage joseph smith and hiram smith were again arrested on a charge based on the destruction of the nauvoo expositor they were violently dragged to prison by the carthage greys without examination on an illegal minimus prepared by justice robert f smith the next day they were dragged forth from the jail again by the carthage greys though the minimus had ordered that they should remain imprisoned quote, until released by due course of law end quote and again without examination they were returned to the jail and thrust into close confinement there was no attempt at a fair legal trial on the contrary every effort was made to pervert the courts to detain the witnesses for the defence to delay proper proceedings and otherwise to divert the course of justice the mob leaders declared openly quote, the law is too short for these men but they must not be suffered to go at large if the law will not reach them, powder and ball must. End quote. In short, Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram Smith were overcome finally not by the just decisions of a properly constituted court of law, but by the bloodthirsty passion of an infuriated mob. As was the lowly Nazarene, so with the humble American prophet. The law would have washed its hands of the case for it found in the prophet an innocent man void of offense. But the lawless, passion-ruled mob would not have it so. They set aside the decisions of the courts. They revolted from the mild governance of the chief executive of the state. The final scene in the drama of the Restoration is a scene of mob violence and murder. It occurred not long before sundown on the eventful 27th of June, 1844. True to the threats that had been uttered, true to the determination that had been formed, true to the bitter, though unjust, hatred that had been aroused against the prophet, a mob of frenzied, lawless men rushed upon Carthage jail to fulfill their predictions of violence. When they fled precipitously into the woods a few minutes later, terrified by the grossness of their own brutality, they had accomplished their murderous resolve. The prophet joseph smith and the patriarch hiram smith lay dead three points are clearly manifest first 
the prophet and the patriarch were brutally mobbed and murdered without justifiable cause second the prophet foreknew by the spirit of inspiration that he was going to a violent death third in the face of the violent death which he knew to be coming to him the prophet displayed a never failing fearlessness a complete reliance upon the righteousness of his cause while his sworn enemies were seeking to destroy him he was himself giving proof by his humility and his uprightness by his courage and his manliness and by his unswerving devotion to his trust that he was far and away removed from guilt and that he was indeed a prophet of the living god before he was committed to prison several officers of the troops at carthage curious to see the prophet visited him in his room in the inn the prophet asked them if they could detect anything in his appearance that would indicate that he was so desperate a character as his defamers represented him to be the visitors replied no sir your appearance would indicate the very contrary general smith but we cannot see what is in your heart neither can we tell what are your intentions very true gentlemen returned the prophet you cannot see what is in my heart and you are therefore unable to judge me or my intentions but i can see what is in your hearts and i will tell you what i see i can see that you thirst for blood and nothing but my blood will satisfy you it is not for crime of any description that i and my brethren are thus continually persecuted and harassed by our enemies but there are other motives and some of them i have expressed so far as it relates to myself and inasmuch as you and the people thirst for blood i prophesy in the name of the lord that you shall witness scenes of blood and sorrow to your entire satisfaction your soul shall be perfectly satiated with blood and many of you who are now present shall have an opportunity to face the cannon's mouth from sources you do not think of and those people who desire this great evil upon me and my brethren shall be filled with regret and sorrow because of the scenes of desolation and distress that await them they shall seek for peace and shall not be able to find it gentlemen you shall find what i have told you to be true the events of the next two days proved that the prophet's declaration of what was in the hearts of his visitors was right and the visitors had not long to live after the martyrdom of the prophet to see a terrible fulfillment of all that he had predicted in the name of the lord the hearts of many of them were rent at the scenes of distress of desolation and of blood that they witnessed before they were themselves taken away at the prison the prophet and his friends manifested the same fearless spirit the same degree of divine inspiration and the same devotion to the cause of truth joseph smith and hiram smith and their associates took turns preaching to the guards these noble men explained to their keepers the true nature of their missions upon the earth and bore infragable testimonies to the truth of the gospel that they preached now the guards were themselves poisoned by bigotry by prejudice by bitter hatred many of them belonged to the mob militia that was sworn to murder the prophet yet some of them were so affected by the preaching of the prisoners that they asked to be relieved before their watch was out many of them admitted freely that they had been imposed upon 
Frequently, one of them was heard to call to the others, Let us go home, boys, for I will not fight any longer against these men. So evident was the innocence of the prisoners that, had they been given a fair legal trial, the court would have acquitted them without question, and would have given them, moreover, the full protection of the law. It was the knowledge of this fact that led the prophet's persecutors to say, If the law will not reach them, then powder and ball must. During the last night in Carthage jail, the brethren testified again of the divinity of their missions. There were present in the prison that night Willard Richards, John Taylor, John S. Fulmer, Stephen Markham, Dan Jones, Hiram Smith, and Joseph Smith. Elder Taylor prayed. After the prayer, Patriarch Hiram Smith read from the Book of Mormon. He selected certain passages relating cases of imprisonment of the servants of God for the gospel's sake, and telling how they were miraculously delivered. Evidently, Hiram still entertained hope that he and his brother would be delivered from their enemies. When Hiram had finished his comments on the passages he had read, the prophet himself addressed his friends and the guards. This address in Carthage jail was in the nature of a sermon, the last sermon delivered by the prophet in mortal life. He bore a powerful testimony to the divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon. He testified to the actuality of the restoration of the gospel with all its authorities and blessings. He alarmed solemnly that the restoration of the gospel had been effected through the ministrations of angels. He declared that the kingdom of God was again established upon the earth. He claimed that it was for the gospel's sake that he was imprisoned, and not because he had violated any law, either of God or of man. Thus, devotedly, fearlessly, did the great prophet, with a certain foreknowledge of death in his heart, testify to the divinity of his mission to earth. On the day that he was foully murdered, it was reported to the prophet that the mob had solemnly determined to kill him before sundown. He retained, however, his serene composure. Above all, he remained to the last, true to the trust God had reposed in him. It did not once occur to him that he could save his own life by denying his claims to divine inspiration. On the contrary, on this last day of their life upon earth, with the certainty of death apparent undoubtedly to both of them. Quote, Joseph and Hiram bore a faithful testimony to the latter-day work and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, and prophesied of the triumph of the gospel over all the earth, exhorting the brethren present to faithfulness and preserving diligence in proclaiming the gospel, building up the temple, and performing all the duties connected with our holy religion. Almost with his dying breath, the prophet testified to the truth, and when he fell, it was with a cry to his God, who had appointed him to labor and to suffer. It was undoubtedly in the wise economy of God that Joseph Smith was called upon to sacrifice his life. The prophet was tried to the uttermost, let us suppose again for a moment that Joseph Smith was an impostor, that he was trying to foist upon the world a monstrous fraud. Undoubtedly he would have been willing to endure much for the success of his undertaking. He might have yielded willingly to imprisonment, 
and might have paid gracefully any penalty short of death imposed by the courts of law but it is only fair to assume that life would have been as dear to him as to any one else it is not probable that he would have laid down his life for a mere imposture it is not probable that he would have been willing to make so rich a sacrifice had it been possible for him to recant to deny what was an untruth anyway more probably if he had been an impostor joseph smith would have saved his life at the last by avowing the imposture he had attempted to establish but joseph smith did not deny his divine prophetic calling on the contrary in the very presence of death he testified to the divinity of the great latter-day work which he had inaugurated neither death nor the fear of death could break the assertion he had made many years before i had seen a vision i knew it and i knew that god knew it and i could not deny it neither dared i do it this fact forms another link in the chain of cumulative evidence it does not prove that joseph smith was a prophet of god but it does prove that he was sincere that he was no mere impostor added to what has gone before it strengthens the evidence that there was something more than earthly inspiration in the life work of joseph smith moreover through the martyrdom of joseph smith the world is left without excuse if the prophet's mission had run smoothly if there had been no opposition if there had been no persecution if there had been no imprisonments if there had been finally no martyrdom then the world might have justly derided the claims of the prophet he could then never have been tried his own conviction of his divinely appointed mission could never have been tested it could not then have been known how the fervent testimonies of either the prophet or his followers would have withstood trial and tribulation but the mission of the prophet did not run smoothly opposition began immediately when he revealed the fact of the first vision and followed him to his death malignation and persecution pursued him relentlessly mobs wreaked vengeance upon him for his godliness and in acts of violence perjured judges committed him to prison not for any criminal act but for testifying of the lord jesus finally he sacrificed his life not for any offense small or great against the law of the land but for being a prophet of the living god he sealed his testimony with his blood is there left to the world any excuse for not accepting his testimony it appears then that throughout the terrible strain of those last days of his life joseph smith had a strange foreknowledge of the coming martyrdom throughout those days he faced fearlessly the death he knew to be awaiting him in the presence of that violent death he bore an unwavering testimony to the divine authority of the church he had been appointed by god to establish he saw the chief executive of the state of illinois become faithless to his pledge of protection he saw the mob rush upon the prison where he was lodged he saw his devoted brother hiram fall dead before him he knew what death was he knew that he had no power against it 
unless he were to declare himself an impostor and to deny his divine calling. This he could not do. Through all the years his testimony had not been broken. It was not broken now even by the fear of death. Could he have been an impostor? No. The fame of him has spread the world over. His followers are numbered by the hundreds of thousands. Everywhere he is spoken of for good or for ill. Gradually his friends are increasing. The good that is said of him is growing. The evil is diminishing. Already many declare that he was murdered in cold blood. The evidence of his great life work is fast establishing him in the hearts of men as a true prophet of God. End of chapter 23 End of The Restoration of the Gospel by Osborne J. P. Widsoe